Our second scripture lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke chapter 14, verse 1, and then down to verse 7 through 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the place of honor, he told them a parable. When you are, in, you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come to you and say, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest seat. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This too is the word of God for the people of God. It all begins with a table. I like to call the 14th chapter of Luke table talk, mostly because as many can attest, I really love alliteration, but really because this entire episode centers around a table. Jesus is invited to dine at the home of a leader among the Pharisees on the Sabbath day. Jesus is being watched. The leadership, these religious leaders have some concerns about this man from Nazareth, to say the least, and so they watch him carefully. And Jesus knows that he's being watched. He has no illusion about his relationship with the Pharisees, and since he has their attention, he's going to make the most of it. Our lectionary text this selection this morning, it skips over Jesus healing a man um, and then really sticking it to his hosts about the purpose of the Sabbath and the Pharisees' understanding of the law. But then our text, it picks up where the table talk really gets going. Jesus is observing the guests at the dinner, seeing folks clamoring to get to the seat of honor, the best spot at the table. And so Jesus, he has to speak up. Now, Luke refers to this teaching as a parable, uh, Jesus' favorite vehicle for teaching, but to me it almost sounds like it comes across as instructions for table etiquette. It could have come from Emily Post. Jesus starts with the guests, how to behave when you are a guest at the table. And then he moves to the host and says, you know, how, this is how you're supposed to behave when you bring folks to your table. But if we pay close attention, we discover that what Jesus is really getting at is making a statement about the kingdom of God that really has nothing to do with how you behave at a table. Guests, Jesus says, never go for the seat of honor 
because someone more important than you may show up and then you'll have to get up and find a new seat and gosh, won't that be embarrassing. Instead, take the lowest seat because who knows, you may then be invited to the higher, better seat and gosh, wouldn't that feel good. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted and all that. On the surface, it is practical, albeit uh, pretty self-serving advice. Don't act like you're the best because in reality, you very well may not be. But Jesus isn't really talking about seat selection at a dinner party. This is about humility. Jesus isn't offering instructions for manipulating your way into the best seat. It is a call a demand for genuine humility. And genuine, sincere humility is no easy task. It is not something, in my experience, that comes naturally to us as humans. I grew up in the height of everyone is special, gold stars and abundance, and you get a trophy just for showing up. We are programmed to believe our own importance, and to willingly diminish yourself feels counterintuitive. Fred Craddock wrote this about Luke 14. He writes, Jesus does not offer a divinely approved way for a person to get what he or she wants. Taking the low seat because one is humble is one thing. Taking the low seat as a way to move up is another. The message becomes a cartoon if there is this mad competitive rush for the lowest place with ears cocked towards the host waiting for the call to ascend. Humility, it isn't about devaluing yourself, but it is rather about denying man-made status and embracing the equality of the other. Being humble isn't calling yourself a worm and thinking that you have no value or worth. Humility is about an awareness of other people beyond yourself. It is not denying your own power or your own ability or your own prestige, but acknowledging that others have equal power equal ability, and equal prestige, and not assuming that yours is any more or any better than another's. And perhaps, most importantly, for humility to mean anything at all, it cannot be self-serving. You don't choose humility because you're going to get something out of it in the long run. Genuine humility doesn't serve today for the sake of exaltation tomorrow. Rather, it gets out of the maneuvering for exaltation game altogether. Choose humility because you recognize the inherent value in every single person and because we are called to it and there needn't be another reason. Because as we are going to continue to discover, this table talk is about overturning the way things work at the world's table in favor of experiencing what God intends at God's table. Jesus' parable then turns its attention to the host. And Jesus says, next time you have a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends or your family or really impressive people, but instead invite the societal outcasts, people that are poor and broken. We've moved from humility, though that is certainly still a part of it, to hospitality. In this instruction, this message is much more countercultural than the first. It is threatening to disrupt much more than patterns of behavior, but rather the entire social order. The idea of quid pro quo, the exchange of one good or service for another, 
or the idea that you would invite someone cool to your dinner party so that then you could be invited to a cool dinner party is an inherently Roman idea and is the basis of the patronage system. You want to host people who can return the favor so you could get something out of what you gave. Inviting people who could give nothing in return is in direct opposition to the system of patronage. This, on the other hand, is kingdom living, kingdom of God living, a place where love and kindness and mercy are given with nothing expected in return. To quote Fred Craddock again, hospitality then is not having each other over on Friday evenings, but welcoming those who are in no position to host us in return. Nor does the text speak of sending food to anyone, but rather the host and the guest sit at the table together. The clear sign of acceptance, of recognizing others as one's equals, of cementing fellowship, is breaking bread together. Humility and hospitality, while excellent qualities for a dinner table, are in actuality marks of kingdom living. These verses from Luke 14 are all about how we view others and view ourselves in the kingdom of God. It orients our identity and our understanding. By offering us this table talk, Jesus gives us a glimpse of, at what the kingdom of God looks like, what happens at God's table. Jesus is unveiling what it means to live into the kingdom of God, doing things that at the offset seem abnormal, challenging cultural norms. God's table, Jesus implies, overturns the world's petty pecking order. At God's table, the rich and the powerful, the privileged and prestigious won't sit at the head table. Rather, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind will sit there. The very people typically left out and left behind in worldly life. And indeed, the very people to whom and for whom Jesus declares his inaugural good news in the first place. As the prophet Mary sang while she was still pregnant with Jesus, the mighty will be humbled and the lowly lifted up. And what's more than that, all of these people, as different as they are, will be at the table together. The lowly and the mighty sharing meals as equals. Think about Jesus, right? We often lift up Jesus as a man who dined with tax collectors and sex workers and sinners, which is all true and wonderful and speaks to who Jesus was and what he was proclaiming with his very life. But Jesus was also sharing a Sabbath meal with Pharisees, who are both um, highly regarded in the community and at the very least his ideological adversaries. Jesus dined with everyone. And when Jesus is speaking to his hosts and to the other guests, Jesus doesn't condemn them, which is something that Jesus doesn't necessarily shy away from, but rather Jesus invites them into a different way of living. He invites them to this new table. The invitation to God's table is for everyone. And breaking bread with people who are different from you, who come from a different world, who you fundamentally disagree with, that is the kingdom of God. Oh, that we could all live into that today. So what is the call then for us? How do we participate in table talk? How do we sit at God's table? 
neither by seeking out the places of honor in order to be exalted now, nor by sitting at the lowest place in order to be exalted later. The goal, in a word, is love. That is what drives both the humility and the hospitality. God's table calls us to love, but not just any love. Jesus envisions a love freed from the crass attempts at exaltation, at scoring points, at earning righteousness, a love for its own sake, without ulterior motive, without scheme or advantage, without quid pro quo, quid pro quo a truly generous love, a love that does not seek to be repaid. It is what the passage from Hebrews that Beth read earlier calls mutual love. A love that shows hospitality to strangers is compassionate to the prisoner, a love that builds genuine and faithful relationships and is extravagantly generous. Mutual love is the thing that calls us to do good and to share what we have. Or to put it in the words of my favorite modern saint, Fred Rogers, love is in a state of perfect caring. It is an active noun, like struggle. To love someone is to strive to accept that person exactly the way he or she is right here and right now. Friends, living in to the kingdom of God as described by Jesus in this gospel is not, to put it simply, an easy task. Embodying humility and hospitality, embracing and living into this active love for all people is no small thing. It requires us, if you'll excuse the pun, to turn the tables on how we view ourselves. It asks us to embrace people who we are not always going to like or to want to be around. It requires requires us to be active, to strive to do something. It's hard. But the thing is, we need it. This world needs us to live into the kingdom of God, to come to God's table, and to ask others to do the same. The world is desperate for some mutual love, and you know, so am I. Divisiveness and ignorance and violence are part of our daily narrative. It's like I can't turn around without seeing something terribly unfair or heartbreaking, and I can say for sure that we are in desperate need of humility and hospitality and mutual love. But you know, I also feel like I don't have all of the answers or sometimes any answers. I cannot explain how our communities have become so divided. I cannot give reason to natural disasters wreaking havoc on innocent lives. I can. I cannot find words for the insidious monster that is mental illness stealing a young man from this world. Um, I want the universe to make sense. (laughs) I want it to be fair, and maybe someday it will be. In fact, I do believe that someday the kingdom of God is going to reign in all places, and all things will return perfectly to our Creator. But that day is not today. Today, it does seem as though the universe behaves precisely as if it were indifferent to us, but that is not the truth and it is not the end of our story. We don't need to be indifferent to one another's needs and sufferings. Jesus has showed us what it means to live as guests of God's table, how to live into the kingdom. So we do. So we must.
and we have our table. When we throw up our hands in grief or frustration or anger, when we feel like there is nothing else we can do, we can come to this table and sit in the presence of Jesus. We celebrate the Lord's Supper together as the body of Christ and in so doing are made one with Jesus Christ, our sustainer, the perfecter of our faith. When nothing else in the world makes sense, the perfect love of Christ is embodied at that table right there because it is his table. In his living and dying and raising from the dead, Jesus gave us this very table, this sacrament that allows us to taste the kingdom of God, a place where the lowly are made mighty, where the grieving are given comfort and peace, and where the broken world is made whole. We come to this table and are strengthened by the grace and love of God given to us in Jesus, and we are reminded that we belong both to Christ and to one another, and we are reminded of the work we have to do, the call that we have been given. It ends with a table. Amen.